0: Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 26 June 2022. We've got Ant-Man Anal Attack, IoT APTs, OpenSea, Microsoft, and and more Microsoft, Jenkins, SFC, Zulrat, and all the show wrap-ups on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Program. To bring you it's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis it's time for security weekly news monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure Firemon helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemon has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemon, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemon. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemon to learn more right now everybody is talking about cryptocurrency and the cyber criminals are hiding in the conversation cyber criminals use social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on your company your employees and your customers spear phishing is just one of the 13 types of email threats barracuda has identified 13 types and shows you how you can protect your company your customers and your reputation find out about the 13 email threat types and barracuda email protection by going and getting your free ebook at securityweekly.com slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com slash barracuda. All right, I'm Doug White, and this is the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show, Episode 221. Wow. Uh, On this week on Application Security Weekly number 202, John and Mike had Mike Benjamin, the VP of Security Research, uh, at Fastly on the show. Mike was going to talk about, well, a whole bunch of things, but uh, primarily they were looking at GraphQL and template injection attacks uh among other og type uh, vulnerabilities that they were talking about in uh, in java this last year uh they all they talked about how that stuff works so if you're interested in those kind of things those kind of attacks is a pretty good segment for that in the second segment the AppSec news on business security weekly number 267 ben jason and matt had alberto Ipez, the co-founder and managing director at forge point capital on the show uh, that was a pretty interesting segment to me. Um Alberta was on uh, this is a company that that does a lot with uh, startups and things like that alberto was on to talk about current economic challenges and and how you know the things that are going on right now with uh the, the dow jones industry industrial industrial average and nasdaq and all that kind of stuff being having the stock market's been having like its worst year in like a long time uh so how do these economic challenges affect innovation and how do they affect the future of the cybersecurity market uh, alberto talked about security investments mergers and acquisitions and talked about what the next 12 to 18 months would look like so if you are an investor in cybersecurity or you're a company in cybersecurity, it's probably worth checking out. On the second segment, Malcolm Harkins, the chief security and trust officer at Epiphany Systems, along with Paul McKay, the principal analyst at Forrester Research, were on with Matt. Uh, This was recorded at RSA, and they talked about, again, a lot of things, but primarily they were talking about redefining risk equations and how this needs to change. Uh, I Again, I'm pretty interested in that kind of stuff, and I think a lot of us are interested in how do we start measuring this and treating it more like a, almost every other thing in our enterprise, uh, but because it's been a new thing, we don't have a lot of data, so it's a pretty interesting thing to look at. On Enterprise Security Weekly 279, Adrian Katie, and Tyler Shields had on the esteemable Jeff Mann. Uh, an information security evangelist at online business systems and of course our good friend for years and years and years and years hi jeff uh jeff was on to talk about his favorite thing pci and in particular he was talking about pci dss version 4.0 which was released at the end of march of this year Uh, jeff talked about some of the more notable changes this spring obviously it's a big subject obviously jeff can talk about it forever uh, but it was an interesting segment if you are you know if you're looking at PCI DSS v uh, version 4.0. In the second segment, Lynn Noy, uh, the te- uh, the technical evangelist and white hat hacker from CyberArk uh, joined the show. Lynn was on to talk about trends in attacker innovation, uh, something that has been we've talked about it several times on news shows in the last couple of weeks, you know, about how these companies are evolving uh, what kind of things they're doing? How they're starting to act more like corporate, like evil corporations, and things like that. But uh, Lynn was going to tell you about the role of identities and credentials, and, and you know, and how all that stuff works in this crime. So again, a, a pretty fun segment to check out. In the third segment, Bill and Matt had uh, Brandon Williams, the VP uh, I of IAM Strategy at Ping Identity, uh, and also Mark St. John, the Senior Vice President of Product at Looking Glass Cyber Solution. They talked about how to define your attack surface, how to manage it, and how you can improve your cybersecurity by doing just that. One of those things we've been telling people they need to do for years and years and years. It's tough to do. It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes resources. So this is an interesting segment uh, about how to do that. On Security Weekly News, number 220, Jason Wood was on talking about uh, how AMD was targeted by Ransom House. And how, uh, you know, this is what I was talking about earlier, how these commercial criminal groups are starting to look a lot like companies. You know, they have HR departments, you know, and and probably like sexual harassment policies and things like that. Which is weird, you know, that a criminal organization starts to become so, you know, forthright, I guess. On Paul Security Weekly, number 746, uh, Joseph Mean, and a very interesting segment. Joseph Mean, an author and journalist at The Washington Post uh, was on to talk about, uh, Joseph has written many, many, many articles about hacking and, and some of the, bo- he wanted to talk about some of the books and different articles he has done. Um, he really, I guess, broke some of the biggest stories, uh, you know, from to the mainstream uh, at the Washington Post in the hacking industry and has two very popular books from that. Uh, very cool. I wish I could have been there, but I was contaminated in Switzerland by, you know what, and uh, so, yeah. And I don't mean like the scent of cow. So yeah, in the second segment, the cybersecurity news. Good job, our friend Tom Leonardo, who joined in. Uh, but yeah, so that was it. Was a fun show. My threat of the week is going to be cockroaches. Yeah. Now a lot of us were students or are still students, and and you know a lot of us have lived in or still live in substandard housing, and or maybe even you live in a sixty-four room mansion with a mega yacht parked out back in the in your personal private you know bay. I mean, I, I remember playing a show one time in a very posh hotel who shall remain nameless and entering the building through the kitchen because, you know, they can't have heathen musicians wandering around. And, and I was thinking, wow, this is a gross place. I wouldn't eat here. Um, but now I realize you may be wondering about now what I'm talking about and, and about, you know, I'm talking about an insect. But the answer is, well, cockroaches are very, very, very persistent. You can try about a million things, and and I lived in this dorm one time, and they you know they constantly were trying to do stuff to get rid of the cockroaches, and you know just when they would say oh they're all gone we you know we we use poison gas and more poison gas and and all this well nope there's one right there on the wall behind you while you're doing the press release, but I mean why talk about it? Well there was this Mandiant report, and the Mandiant report was talking about UNC3524, which is an advanced persistent threat possibly state-sponsored, and they were talking in the report about how this group is leveraging what I call the cockroach approach. Yeah, they didn't call it that, but I'm calling it that. Um, And and what they're doing is they hide in every crack cabinet, pipe, and old cigar box to ensure that they can be in your network and maintain persistence in your network even if you dump poison gas on the network to try to get rid of people that are broken in. And I mean, that means when you get those calls, Well, you're going to be like those exterminators who basically have to say, well, this isn't going to work, but we'll try. We're going to put a tent over the whole building, pump it full of poison gas for a week, and then we'll just sort of hope for the best. Oh, nope, there goes another one. Um, UNC 3524 is basically using the fact that networks are not just simple things. And modern networks have unbelievable numbers of devices in them. I mean, from the very first networks i ever worked on they had printers and fax machines and and pcs and other devices that started being added to that and if you think about just even your home today for a second whether it's substandard or it's a 64 room mansion how many things in that domicile are enabled i mean is is your stove the refrigerator the ring doorbell you have app app controlled roof-mounted flamethrowers that water monitor you just put in the basement on and on and on and on. I mean, I just sat down this morning and started trying to make a list of all the things that I had put in my house that are enabled. So if you extend that to an enterprise, it really gets crazy, right? And it gets crazy really fast. I mean, how many WAPs, IoT, IoT, and all this other kind of stuff are out there that all have network stacks and they're enabled and they're connected and they're talking, you know, you don't know who they're talking to. And I mean, and this problem gets worse every day since a lot of IOT type devices are, you know, just pretty much everywhere. And a lot of them don't have much in the way of security because they just don't. You know, I mean, from toys to very sophisticated things, I've seen IOT devices that had firmware embedded passwords that were permanently fixed the way they worked, and they were trying to communicate. I mean, I figure it probably won't be very long before that box of Captain Crunch that you've got in the, in the cupboard has a network stack on a chip to remind you when the box is getting empty. So that, you know, or maybe it'll just order for you and go, oh, yeah, you're about out of Captain Crunch. I think I'll, and I always say Captain Crunch, even though it's actually called Cap'n. I, I can't even say it. Cap'n Cap'n Crunch? Cap'n Crunch. Crunch. Arr, matey. But regardless, I mean, we don't look at all that stuff, right? We just just start adding it to our network because it just becomes part of everything. Remember those little Amazon things they were selling? Those little buttons you could put in your house? You know, you need more detergent, you just push this button and it automatically sends an order to Amazon, and then your cat starts poking it over and over and over again, and suddenly a pallet full of detergent arrives at your house? Yeah, no, that didn't happen to me, but I do know somebody that happened to. Um, I mean, You may take that box of rotting pizza out and toss it, but you probably neglected to sweep up all the crumbs under the stove and the roaches love crumbs and IOT is kind of like that. You need a doorbell, a water monitor. You know there was a leak in your basement so you get a water monitor we just got a monitor for uh, a a, an oil tank you know just in case it leaked a sensor that tells you when the trash had been picked up or the mailbox is open you you, you know you add it it's 29.95 and you know you know then you'll know if the postman is going to ring twice i mean don't get me wrong i i love all this stuff and i want to secure it i really really do and i mean i'm probably more paranoid than anybody around. I mean, I used to make a living, you know, basically being paranoid, which was kind of cool. If anybody wants to hire me, I'm, I'm available. But I mean, I, I really like this stuff and it's fun to play with. It's really fun to know if your cat's at the door or what your cat's doing at night. You know, it's like uh, we were on a trip and we have a camera that just focused on one of our cat beds. So you could you could check out to see what the cat was doing or find out if those goddamn squirrels opened the bin again or the dog fell in the pool. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's all IOT. And I mean, the same thing goes at companies, right? So we add all these little hidey holes that that APTs can use. They typically get in the old-fashioned way, according to this report. They find an open port, or they just do a phishing attack because phishing works. I hate to tell you this. I call it an infinite series. I've been calling it an infinite series since the dawn of time, and it is an infinite series. If the first person doesn't fall for it, the nth person will. It never fails so i mean i don't care how hard you try we're not going to get somebody the nth person to click that link that says you won't believe what he saw when he opened this file so i mean once they're in well i think we've focused over the last you know 20 years a lot on detection of those kind of activities so somebody's in your network they're doing things they're exfiltrating they're doing all this kind of stuff but, you know, what, so since we know that as, as attackers, why not, you know, hide some eggs around to hatch later? I mean, this is just sort of, you know, your old cockroach approach. I mean, before we start doing anything else, let's go ahead and, and stash a bunch of eggs so will there will always be more cockroaches. So UNC-3524 was using a DropBear variant that I guess they developed maybe, and it can establish a client-server SSH tunnel, and it runs on just about any kind of Linux or Linux-based device, which is what most IoT stuff is, right? So even you you go spray, new eggs hatch, you're right back to square one. They just keep coming back in. So what do you do? Well, I would really encourage you to develop a comprehensive plan for one thing. You need to find a way to evaluate all these devices for risk. I, I mean, there's different documents out there, whether the NIST documents, MITRE, uh, there's, uh, Amazon has a document about risk grids and all these kind of things. You really need to sit down and take some time to figure out how are we going to control this? How are we going to evaluate these things for risk? I mean, a lot of these devices cannot be modded. They may have firmware passwords and so forth. You need to know that. Uh, they may have open ports. They may be able to allow connections and on and on and on. They may also have vulnerabilities, of course, right? I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even stating the, the most dramatic stuff that they do. You've got to put them in their own network. But even then, you're going to have to become the jackbooted thug again and start scanning. I mean, remember when Wi-Fi first came out and Tom in marketing decided to buy a, a WAP and, at Best Buy and put it in his office so he could be ice cool daddy and carry a laptop into the meeting room to go, yeah, I'm connected. I don't know about the rest of you. And then you find out that those guys in the apartment building across the street were now connected to that and either just using it for Internet porn or they were actually doing stuff to your corporate network. Because I did I did one of those jobs. They were getting like messages printed out on the printers, you know, like funny messages were coming out of their printers and they didn't know where they were coming from. And we went and scanned the building and guess what we found? Oh, there was like three Wi-Fi WAPs that people had put in their offices so they could carry their laptops around and you know all of a sudden you were having to scan every other day to see if people had put up wi-fi waps and then take security and a ball bat and some uh, bear mace and go down there and seize the things and stomp them into a million pieces in front of the person while they watched and cried but i mean it's it's even easier to put iot on the network i just recently was in an enterprise i saw someone had a little wi-fi enabled toy it was like a little tank on their desk that, that people could drive around from home it had a little camera on it, and you could drive it around and, you know, do things like that. And it could be controlled by an app over the Internet. And, I, I, and then I saw a story recently, again, about Internet-controlled sex toys that used local Wi-Fi to connect to an app that was housed who knows where, probably in China. And, you know, and, and I will say you might want to go back and watch uh, Paul's Security Weekly episode 505, where Render Man came on and talked about the Internet of Dongs. It's a very cool episode. You should definitely go check it out. But mostly, you need to start developing a management plan for this because it's, somebody is going to bring IoT into your network, either legitimately or illegitimately. And if someone like UNC3524 gets on those devices, it's going to be really, really, really hard to get rid of them if they're using this technique talked about in this article. Next week, how to get rid of a Keith Richards infestation. And now the news. So you went and bought some NFTs. Yep. And now you own a picture of a monkey sniffing its finger. Mm -hmm. Well, OpenSea has some bad news for you. They disclosed a data breach on Wednesday and warned that you will very likely be getting hit with spear phishing attacks soon. Um, OpenSea is a big provider of an NFT marketplace. They said that it has uh, the data of more than 600,000 users and over 20 billion in transaction volume. So obviously NFTs are pretty popular. Uh, the company said that an employee of customer.io, which is their email delivery vendor, downloaded all of the email addresses of OpenSea customers and all their newsletter subscribers emails. And then, then uh, they didn't exactly make it clear if the employee shared it or it got hacked or what. But all those addresses were then shared, according to the article, with an unauthorized external party. Uh, and yeah, so they said it was very likely that users were going to be seeing phishing attempts to impersonate OpenSea. And in particular, they were warning, they had a lot of kind of very specific warnings here. They were warning about typo squatting type attacks from do, the domains OpenSea.org, OpenSea.xyz, and say S-A-E, dot I-O. So, You might want to block those, Uh, you know, I mean, even if you don't support OpenSea at your company, you may have employees that are using it. So OpenSea's had a bunch of incidents in the past, included fake support staff that was targeting users, and they had a bug that allowed the crypto wallets to be emptied if you clicked on some infected art. Yeah, so, you know, you might want to put out a warning about it. Microsoft issued a warning to remind users that Windows Server 2012 and 2012 R2 will hit its end-of-life date for extended end of support on October, 2023. And if it doesn't comply, they'll send out blade runners to make sure it's exterminated. Uh, the heavily used server product came out originally in 2012, hence the name, although that doesn't always mean anything. And it's now about 10 years old. It's definitely a venerable old vessel at this point. I, I mean, I we've all probably used uh, 2012 at some point, but basically after that date, uh, after 2012, they changed some of the basic structure in server 2016 and so forth. And a lot of people didn't like it very much. They changed the way some of the screens looked and so forth. So there are probably plenty of you out there still using 2012. But what this means is that as of that October 2023 date, there will be no further support for this platform. Uh, and that means no security patches, no tech support, no nothing. So it's probably they're basically telling you you might want to start thinking about taking some kind of action. Microsoft's recommendation, of course, is to upgrade to Server 2019 and SQL Server 2019. Uh, so I would just tell you start planning your upgrade path because you really don't want to be using server products that are no longer being supported. Because, you know, when then when that big zero day is found and there's no patch forthcoming, you're going to be screwed. Microsoft Exchange, at the same time, uh, reported that Exchange servers uh, belonging to government and military organizations in in almost everywhere except the United States, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, and Africa have been found to contain malware, which would allow backdoor entry to the servers. Uh, This particular malware was named Session Manager by Kaspersky, who found it early in 2022. It's a native code module uh, for Microsoft IIS, so that's their web server if you're not up on such things. Uh, but Microsoft IIS is, you know, their equivalent of Apache or whatever. Apparently, this has been being used in the wild since so at least March of 2021. Uh, and so much like that APT IoT threat, this tool allows the attackers to maintain uh, connectivity in the network after other exploits are found. So the minute you start shutting down paths and so forth, they've still got this remote backdoor going into the, into the network. And it's really hard to get it off the server uh, because it is a native code module. Once it's dropped on the server, the attackers have access to arbitrary files, remote command execution capability, and the ability to connect to other endpoints and manipulate network traffic, among other things, as if that weren't enough. Kaspersky said that months after being discovered, the files for this malware virus were still not being flagged as malicious by, quote, a popular online file scanning service, end quote. (laughs) <laughs> the module harvests credentials. So, when it first starts running and harvests all the credentials, it can get out of system memory. It can drop MimiCats, prod uh, prod dump, uh, and some other, like an avast memory dump tool, and so forth, as well as it collects network information about other devices in the network. Uh, the malware is uh, similar to OWL proxy, and it may be being developed by Gelsenium, uh, uh, which is a threat actor who conducts worldwide espionage against mostly governments. And electronics manufacturing and universities in East Asia and the Middle East, and is believed to be state-sponsored. So, very uh, nasty little thing there. The Software Freedom Conservancy is a nonprofit which focuses on free and open-source software. Uh, they're sort of the you know green piece of of, of open-source software. But they said they have stopped using GitHubs uh, as long as we're on Microsoft today, um, and they are encouraging everyone to join them in stopping using GitHub. Uh, It's a pretty good reason though, I'll tell you. The move came after the introduction of GitHub Copilot, which is an AI-based coding assistant tool that is used to suggest code and functions to developers as you're working. So you put that on there, and as you start doing things, the AI Copilot is looking at your code. Uh, When it looks at my code, it says, hey, are you an idiot or what? But uh, for people that actually know what they're doing, it's looking at their code going, maybe you should try this function. Uh I, I always wonder if it's biased though, you know. It's like but the the AI has been trained on natural language text and source code based on public source code from GitHub, particularly the code in public GitHub repositories. They I think they have other sources as well. So I guess the AI has learned to sort of be a script kitty. Uh, and, and look at code and suggesting. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the, the, they think this is a problem because Microsoft and GitHub have not really dealt with the copyright issues that I could see. And I, it was a very good point that, that the, this AI is looking at your code in public space and then suggesting maybe that code to other people. And so the AI starts using code and you know it is public, but then it gets reused in possibly private or even commercial code. I mean, I guess it depends on how you feel about that. You know, I mean, if, if you're really, you know, a hardcore open source person and you, you say, I don't want my code reused from some commercial product without my permission, or if that's in your license, I don't know if that would apply. Bradley Kuhn, a fellow of the SPC said, quote, Copilot completely severs the connection between its inputs and outputs. And thus, after 20 plus years, Microsoft has finally produced the very thing they falsely accused open source of being, a black hole of IP rights. It's a very interesting article, and you probably should read it if you do any kind of open source development or you use GitHub. Uh, Jenkins, who makes a really popular open source platform with support for 1,700 plus plugins, which are used for building, testing, and deploying software, announced that they have 34 security vulnerabilities, which affect 29 different plugins on their open source automation server, with 29 of them being zero days that have no patches. Now, not all of these are, are high severity Uh, But there are a few and the impacted plugins have a total of more than 22,000 installs uh, as of the announcement. The list included cross-site scripting, stored cross-site scripting, cross-site scripting request forgery bugs, missing and incorrect permission checks, hard-coded passwords, secrets, API keys and tokens in plain text, on and on and on, all the usual stuff. Uh, the good news is, is that the worst of these bugs do typically require some kind of user interaction in order to be exploited. But there are low-complexity attacks that, that allow remote attackers with low privileges to do things. Showdown reported there are more than 144,000 exposed Jenkins servers worldwide as of this week. Uh, the article has a whole lot of extensive details about this if you are interested. Zuo uh, is a multi-stage malware that has been active since April 2020 and can allow compromise a wide range of Soho routers from Cisco, Netgear, and others. The malware basically can access the local LAN, capture packets, and conduct man-in-the-middle attacks using DNS and HTTPS hijacking. The report came from Lumen Technologies, which is the threat intel arm of Black Lotus Labs. The name, uh, Zuo, means, uh, means left in Chinese. Uh, you know, like turn left or whatever. And and the reason is because there's a file that it drops on the device that that has the, the name ASDF, which if you learn typing from Sister Mary Margaret and her magic hand-bashing cane, uh, like I did, then you know what your left hand types in the neutral position on the keyboard, which is ASDF. Uh, this, it's a multi-stage attack. So the first stage basically jumps on your device, starts gathering information about your network, Uh, puts all the NICs in promiscuous mode and then starts uploading all this information to the command and control server. Uh, And then I guess somebody reviews it. And if the attackers decide you're worthy, uh, then they jump in and download other modules onto the device, which can take all kinds of additional action. I mean, they listed a stack of apps in here that could be downloaded to be used on these local devices. The malware is believed to be a state-sponsored attack And the article said it was pushed out the unpatched Soho devices early in the pandemic because workers started to work from home and connect to corporate networks. Uh, So this is a way for them to sell access or to get access to, you know, whomever you're connected to. Probably a good time to start assessing who's connecting to you and what they're connecting with and are they patched and so on. And finally, I could not resist the story about Thanos and his butt. I know it's juvenile, but it's Security Weekly. I mean, so a lot of people, not me, of course, a lot of people talked about why Ant-Man didn't just shrink down, fly up Thanos' butt, or maybe he could Kandiru fish it, or just go up one of his giant nostrils and then just enlarge and splat the end, you know? uh avengers endgame is like four minutes long it's just like ant-man saves the day right he just like flies up thanos's butt enlarges and it's just a big splatter and the whole thing's over with the power stones are you know back or the infinity stones are back in everybody's pockets and dr strange can go back to being strange and so forth i mean you know you have to suspend a lot of disbelief with superhero movies because you know there's a lot of bad plot holes I mean, we. I mean, we could talk about that all day, right? We could have like a nerd, a nerd slap fight in a bar about you know all the different superpowers and how they're complicated and how this and blah 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 blah. But apparently, Avengers Quantum Encounter is a new <coughs> a new thing that is a Marvel dinner theater performance on a Disney cruise ship, and this video in this article. Is you get to watch Paul Rudd try and explain why Ant Man did not fly up Thanos' butt. Yeah, really. I mean, I didn't really understand why Ant Man wasn't doing this all along because it seems like that, that in and of itself would be the best use of the superpower. But I guess superheroes can't kill people, correct? But I mean, Batman has, but he's not really a superhero either, right? He's just a guy with a suit. I mean, it would make a really short movie. But I mean, if Thor's a god, why is he such a wimp? You know, I mean, why didn't he just stop all this crap? And and how come Iron Man does it get turned into a fine red paste in that in that suit? I mean, physics is still applicable, right? I mean, come on, Tony Stark, did you invent inertial dampening? I don't think so, but I mean, you know, I mean, they did in Star Trek, but but not but not in Iron Man. They never mentioned inertial dampening, so you know, he should be a jelly when they break open the suit. Like this, they open it and he just kind of oozes out. And Happy's like, oh, what a mess. But I mean, anyway, why is Hawkeye even there? I mean, I mean, you know, is he really? What's he going to do to a god? Shoot an apple off their head and say, okay, I win? Oh, well, just for fun. Uh, that's a wrap for the week of 26 June. Uh, we are out next week for the holidays in the U.S., so we'll see you on the 12th of July. Bye.